Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're working through the book of James together, and it's one of the things that we enjoy doing is just working through books of the Bible. Next week, we're going to be completing the book of James, and then after that, we'll be starting the book of Genesis. We'll be in Genesis for almost an entire year, and uh, Genesis is one of those books that you read, and you're like, this is crazy. Uh, I don't understand this. Uh, This seems contradictory. I don't understand how this connects with Jesus whatsoever, and so uh, join us in the craziness, and let us uh, point you to Jesus each and every week. It's all about the beginnings and the blessings of God, and so we hope that you'll join us uh, for that Genesis series. This week, um, as I read this passage, all that I could really think about was Splash Mountain. You see, when I was 12 years old, I took a trip with my family to, um, to Orlando, Florida, uh, and we decided to go in the middle of the summer. So it was not uh, a pleasant uh, weather time in Orlando, very hot, very humid, and we went to uh, Disney World. And at the Magical Kingdom, I just remember wanting to ride Splash Mountain so much. Splash Mountain is that ride, that's a, it's a log uh, flume, and uh, you, you get in the log and they take your picture as you go down the big waterfall. But the, the line to Splash Mountain was like an hour and a half long. Does anybody remember standing in that Splash Mountain line? Yeah, there's a few of you who have stood in that line. And if you were like me and you were 12 years old, you had not learned this important thing that we call patience. And so as I stood in the line, I just was bored out of my mind. I was miserable because it was hot. And then it started storming, so we all had to leave the line. And then we returned, and it's like the line was longer when we got back. Where did all these people come from? They all got in line while while it was storming. And I just had to keep my mind on the end reward that I also will be featured in an ugly picture with my face looking crazy going down a waterfall. You know, along the, the way of the line, the, the, the um, what do they call them at Disney? The, the uh, people that are creative at Disney, they're like Imagineers or something. Imagineers, there we go. The Imagineers had devised, a, I was looking at Chris Chestnut because I knew that he would know the answer to that. Um, the Imagineers, uh, they have come up with all kinds of different things to keep kids entertained in that line. There's all kinds of little animatronics and and everything along your way. But you really just have to set your mind on the prize that is ahead of you at the end. And in many ways, this is the way that Paul, that Paul, that James talks about our life as Christians. Though we may suffer now, we have a goal at the end that will make it all worth it. 
Because after I rode Splash Mountain, I rarely thought about the line. I just thought about the fun time that I had. It was all worth it to me when I got to the end. So today we're talking about patience. We're gonna, we have three points with patience. One, why is patience so valuable? Why is patience so valuable? Why is it something that we value so much? Two, why is grumbling so serious? Why is grumbling such a bad thing? And three, how to cultivate a heart of joy and patience while living in a broken world where things don't go to plan. How to cultivate a heart of joy and patience while living in a broken world where things don't go to plan. Let's dive in. Point number one, why is patience so valuable? When you look at today's passage starting in verse seven, twice he repeats it. He says, be patient therefore my brothers until the coming of the Lord. And then in verse 8, he says, you also be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. We all know that patience is a good thing. We tell children to be patient all of the time, but patience oftentimes feels like a small thing. And if someone is impatient, it's really more of an annoying thing than it is a moral thing to us, the way that we think about. We think of patience as somewhat insignificant. But the scriptures teach us that patience is extremely, extremely valuable. That's extremely valuable. And here's why. Life is hard. It's filled with suffering. Here at this church, lives are filled with suffering. We have spouses who can't see one another. We have people with illnesses that make day-to-day life difficult. We have people waiting and waiting for their suffering to be relieved. We have people waiting for that day when they wake up and there's no pain. There are people who have lost jobs, who are struggling deeply with mental health issues. And if you want to endure all of those things while keeping your faith, You have to be patient and step through them. You have to wait on the Lord. And that's basically what James is saying today. What James is telling us is he's saying, hey, I know life is hard. He's saying, I know life is hard. Be patient. The Lord is on your side. You're going to make it. That's what he has to say to us. I know life is hard. I know you're struggling. Wait on the Lord. He always comes through. Be patient. Be patient. It's coming. The end of your suffering, it's coming. That's what he's saying to us today. The default mode of the world is impatience. You're not going to learn patience simply by existing. You're going to become a more and more impatient person simply by existing. If you don't intentionally apprentice at the feet of Jesus and learn from Jesus, you will become more and more impatient. Because patience is not an inherent gift, but it is a learned skill. Patience is not an inherent gift. 
It is a learned skill. Now, it is a gift from God, but it is something that we have to work on still. Love is also a gift from God, but that does not mean that it's easy for me to love my enemies. That's a difficult thing. That's something that I have to practice. It's an acquired skill to love your enemies, even though it's still a gift from God. Patience, similarly, is an acquired skill. It's something that we have to learn. It's something that we have to work on. Learning patience is anything but automatic. And patience is this huge thing that can only be learned in the small moments of life. Patience is this huge thing that can only be learned in the small moments of life. Because if you wait for those huge moments, those moments where you really need some patience, where you really need to be able to establish your hearts and hope in the Lord, but you haven't been cultivating a heart of patience up until that time, it's going to hit you like a two-by-four across the face. Because you just aren't ready to sit and wait in patience. So patience is best learned, not in the big moments, but in the small moments. A lot of times we like to think that our lives are defined by those big moments. What did I do in this situation? Where did, it, where did, where did I go wrong when I, when I made this big decision? But what the scriptures seem to teach us over and over again is that the small moments define us. I love how author Annie Dillard says it. She says, how you live your days is how you live your life. And so each and every day, you have to think, am I becoming more patient today or less patient today? It's hard to look at patience as this big thing. But you, if you look at it each and every day, it becomes more uh, something that we can grasp, something that we can understand. Are you a patient person? Do you have a, a spirit of calmness in the face of frustration? <laughs> Are you resolved to be kind in the midst of uneasy circumstances? Do you have an anti-restless, anti-irritable, anti-grumbling way of being? Are you joyful and steadfast even when life is rough? James is teaching, he's writing this to suffering Christians. In chapter 1, he said, Consider your trials pure joy. He's writing to people who are experiencing suffering. And here he's teaching us how we can be patient in our suffering. And he gives us this really awesome, awesome secret. He tells us what we're waiting on. He says that not only do you, are you just enduring patience, but there's a prize at the end of all of this suffering. Because he says it twice, and both these times that he tells us to be patient, he tells us what we're being patient for. Verse 7, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Verse 8, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. This word for coming that James is using here is the Greek word parousia. Uh, many scholars have spilled a lot of ink talking about the parousia, but the parousia is just a Greek word that means presence. And it was used in secular Greek to talk about the arrival of a king or a dignitary. And it just talks about that king's presence. And so we're establishing our hearts. We're being patient until our Lord Jesus is present with us. There is a day when he's going to be present with us. 
And if we set our minds and set our hearts on that day, the line doesn't feel as terrible as we wait. Friends, I need to remind you this morning, because it's so easy to snap into this. This world is not all that there is. This life is a brief momentary dot in light of eternity. You were made for so much more than what we have here on earth. I love the way that C.S. Lewis describes this. He, he has several ways that he describes this. He says this, he says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. Elsewhere, he says, there have been times when I think we do not, we do not, excuse me, there have been times when I think we do not desire heaven, but more often I find myself wondering whether in our heart of hearts we have ever desired anything else. All of your longings, all of your disappointments in life, they point to this desire for a greater reality that one day we get to experience when Jesus comes back and makes the world new. All of your suffering will be undone. Your tears will be wiped and rejoicing will, will fill the world. In many ways, you won't have to practice patience in the same way. But at the same time, you're going to be filled with patience. You're going to have patience as you drink in more and more of the glory of God from eternity through eternity and enjoy that to the fullest. James gives us an illustration to help us with our patience. Verse 7, it's right in between the two be patients. He says, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruits of the earth? Being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. This is an excellent illustration, but it's not one that hits our society very easily unless you're like me and you've reached maximum dad status and you've decided to rip out all of your grass and plant new grass. So I don't know how many of you guys have tried to grow anything recently. This summer has been terrible for growing things. It's been so dry. I don't know if you noticed that. It just hasn't rained until like last week. Uh, you know, if you're not trying to grow anything, you might not notice. About a year ago, uh, my neighbor Michael and I went in the backyard and we said, it's all weeds. This yard is 100% weeds. It, we just need to go the nuclear route and dig all of the grass up throw it away and start over. And so we went and ripped all of our grass out. We laid a thousand pounds of cow manure in my backyard. Now I have a huge backyard for Somerville standards. It is all of 750 square feet. I mean, like this, this little area of chairs is about the size of my backyard, which is ginormous for Somerville standards. We're very thankful to have that, that size of yard. And so you, you rip out the grass, you put the cow manure down, you, you just throw more seed out there, and then it's just a watering and waiting game. Really, I spent all of last summer in my backyard with my, with my shorts and high socks on, uh, watering the grass just by hand, try, making sure that all of those seeds are germinating and it's coming up. And it took a long time for them to come up. Now imagine doing that without a water hose. 
Because ancient societies, they didn't have indoor plumbing like what we have. They just have to wait on the rains and pray to the Lord that things will grow. And they wait. It takes weeks, months. Sometimes you plant at the beginning of the season and you wait until the end before you see the fruit of your labor. But he tells us to look to the farmer as an example for us as we wait for the Lord. Maybe you're in one of those seasons where it doesn't seem like the fruit's ever going to come. It's just waiting. It's just waiting for more rain that comes not often enough. And the plant is there, but you're not seeing the fruit of all of your labor and all of your work. Friends, it's coming. The rain is coming. The Lord is coming. The return of the Lord is at hand. I love the way that John Piper puts this. He says this, How long will it take living with God on the new earth before you say, At last, all the suffering was worth it. How long will that take? Five seconds? Five minutes? Five years? Maybe you're a pessimist and you think that it'll take 500 years. Fine. After 500 years of living in the unending, God-centered happiness of eternity, you'll still have millions upon millions of years remaining. The coming of the Lord is at hand. Be patient. You can make it through anything. Life is hard. I know that. Life is hard. Keep going. You're going to make it. Because the Lord is with you, and you have a prize at the end. James tells us that this day is coming soon. He says, verse 8, You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Now, James was written 2,000 years ago. And um, I'm not sure how James defined at hand, but I'm not sure that he and I have the same definition of what at hand means. Because if I say dinner is at hand, it better be coming in the next 10 minutes, or, you know, it wasn't at hand. So what, what's he talking about? To, as far as I know, Jesus has not returned yet. But James and Paul and Jesus say that that return is imminent. And so when we read these things, sometimes I read my Bible and I say, well, he's just wrong. He's just mistaken about the return of Jesus. That's obvious. And that's okay. I still believe this thing. But, you know, James was wrong in this one part. But I don't think that that's what's going on here. I think that what he's saying is the return of Jesus can be at any moment. We're in the final stage of redemptive history. And the, the return of Jesus could not have happened before Jesus came the first time. We needed Jesus to come and be the Messiah, die the death that we deserve, be risen to new life. And now that he's ascended on high, that day is imminent in the sense that no one knows. No one knows, okay? Those radio hosts who tell you that uh, the day of the Lord is on this day and this year, do not listen to them. That is not true. You don't know. No one knows when Jesus is returning. But it could be at any moment. It could be at this moment. But it wasn't. So we just wait. We wait patiently. Why is patience so valuable? Because it reminds us that our hope is, God, is in God and in heaven. And all our longings, ultimately, are a longing for heaven. 
So why is grumbling so serious? If that's why patience is so valuable, why is grumbling so serious? Look with me to uh, verse 9. This is what he says. He says, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. I don't know about you, but if I were to make a list of the most serious sins, sins that would cause the judge to be standing at the door, I would have murder on my list. I would have adultery on my list. I would have forgery. I would have uh, um, lying under oath. I would have a lot of things on that list. But grumbling? I'm not sure I would have on that list. Grumbling is like my favorite pastime. There's nothing that I, that more words come out of my mouth that are complaining than probably any other words. If you took grumbling out of my vocabulary, I wouldn't have much left to say. The internet would be almost empty if you took grumbling out of it. It just doesn't feel like that big of a deal. It just doesn't feel like that big of a deal. How are you expected to have a conversation with someone you don't know very well if you cannot complain about the weather? There's no way. Yet, James tells us that grumbling not only is a big deal, but it's a deal that we're going to get judged for. It's serious. It's a big deal. And here's why. Grumbling is a big deal because it's the anti-patience. You might not think about that, but, but it is. It's, it's the anti-patience, grumbling is. Let's say you're uh, driving in your car. I'll give you an illustration to help you understand. Let's say you're driving in your car and someone cuts you off in traffic, assuming you drive, uh, assuming you have driven, I suppose. Someone cuts you off in, in traffic. 0.1% of us will run that person off the road, get out of our car, and start banging on their window, okay? 10% or let's, let's put it like this, 9% of us will roll down our window and yell vulgar profanities as we drive by. We're not going to run them off the road, but we're going to give them the good Boston welcome. 90% um, of us won't do anything except for complain. We're going to complain to ourselves. We're going to complain to anybody else in our car. We're going to complain to those that are waiting for us as we arrive. And then 0.9% of us, okay, I made it 100 for you, 0.9% of us will actually be patient with the person and assume that they just made a mistake or not care if they are a jerk. Eh, the person's a jerk. That's okay. You see, you might say, well, at least I didn't run him off the road and beat him up. The bar's a little higher than running the person off the road and beating him up. The bar's a little high. There's always something worse that you could do. But what James is doing is saying the bare minimum the way that you know that you're not patient is if you're grumbling a lot. If you're complaining, you're not being patient. And he says that's the bar. The bar isn't running a person off the road and killing them. The bar is grumbling and complaining. Because grumbling is the fruit of impatience. Grumbling is not just something that we do. Grumbling is the symptom of a heart that's diseased. You know, when we have a heart that is obsessed about getting our own way, 
or a heart that's impatient, if you have a critical heart where you're always complaining, griping, nitpicking, and irritable, there's no way that you're delighting in the Lord. It's the symptom of the disease of the heart. And there's no way that you're prepared for suffering. If you're doing that day in and day out, you are not prepared for suffering. Remember, you only learn patience in those small moments of life. And so if you spend all of your small moments being impatient and grumbling about them, you're not cultivating, you're not flexing that muscle. That's a patient life. Now, most of us do complain. I complain, that's for sure. And some of you might be feeling a little bit of conviction. And you might be thinking, I need to be more positive. (laughs) Good, good. I'm glad that you're there. But the way you do that is not by just thinking positive thoughts. It's not by just saying, you know, I've got to stop being critical. I'm going to be positive. Because remember, grumbling is a sin that is a symptom of a disease that's going on in the heart. You do not treat a disease by treating the symptoms. I caught COVID a couple of weeks ago. I took a lot of DayQuil. It did not help me get over over COVID any quicker. I just had to get over the disease. You do not treat the disease by treating the symptoms. You have to go after the disease. And so how do you cultivate a life of joy and patience in the midst of a broken world where disappointments abound? How do you cultivate a life of joy and patience in this broken world? That's our last point. There's three things that we have to do to cultivate a heart of joy. First, you cannot cultivate a heart of joy if your heart is full of the disease of self-centered, of self-centeredism, self-centeredness. If your heart is full of the disease of self-centeredness, if you are at the center of your being, the center of existence, and everybody else is just a secondary character to the one-man show that is you, you'll never be able to cultivate a heart of patience because you think that you're the center of the universe, which is the natural status of humans as they're born into the world. Anyone with children can tell you that. So the very first thing you have to do to cultivate a heart of joy in a broken world is you need to receive the cure to your disease, which is a full heart transplant. You need the heart of stone to be removed from your body and to receive a heart of flesh. Ezekiel puts it this way. God says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you, uh, and give you a heart of flesh. If you want to have a heart of joy and patience, it will require that you give up everything that you value in this life and say, my life is for God. It will require that you give up every selfish desire that you have and say, they're all submitted to Christ, and I want whatever he wants. Jesus did not come to make already good people just a little bit better. But Jesus came so that we might have peace with God 
to make us completely new people. The gospel is that we are sinners with hearts of stone and that Jesus took on our sin so that he could give us a heart of flesh. Have you received that yet? Have you received that heart of flesh? That's your first step. You cannot go any farther in patience. You can maybe be a little bit more patient, but you'll never treat the disease unless first you receive that heart of flesh. So if you want to cultivate that heart of, of flesh, of joy and, and patience, you have to go to Jesus. And you can do this today. You can say, take my heart and give me a new one. I want to desire the things that you desire because I know that that's better. I want new desires. Remake me like a potter with clay and shape me however you want. Christianity is a whole life change. It is not something you simply add to your already awesome life. So if you came here thinking you have your life pretty much put together, but you're just looking for that little missing piece, I'm telling you, that's good. I'm glad that you're seeing that something is missing, but the message of Christianity is you don't get the missing piece without starting over. You just have to be completely remade, and that's what's missing. So the second way to cultivate a heart of joy amidst life's trials, James tells us to look to the good examples. Verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we considered those blessed who remain steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job and, you, and seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So James tells us that if you want to cultivate a heart of patience, you need to know your Old Testament. You need to know the stories throughout the Bible. You need to study them, and you need to meditate on them, and they have to affect your everyday life. He tells us to remember the prophets and then to remember Job. For me, the prophets are the most difficult part of the Bible to read and understand. Every time I read the prophets, I'm either pulling out a reference book so that I can remind... I went to seminary. I have multiple uh, seminary degrees. Um, I took multiple classes in Old Testament and New Testament. Every time I read the prophets, I'm still pulling out references. And sometimes, a lot of times, I'm just sitting there with my phone. So I just open up YouTube and I go to the, uh, the Bible Project. And I just watch the Bible Project video and it helps me understand this. So if you don't know the prophets, I understand why. They're hard to understand. But James tells us that you need to know the prophets if you want to endure patiently through life's troubles. And the examples of the prophets are awesome. You look at Isaiah. Isaiah, first of all, if you think, you know, I'd like to be a prophet. It seems like they just really experienced the presence of God, amazing power that they experienced. No, you don't. Okay, prophets were miserable. They lived miserable lives. If you go to Isaiah, he had this, at the beginning of his ministry, he had this wonderful vision of the throne room of God. It's like he was called up into the throne room of God, and he got to experience what all of us will experience in heaven one day. And then he was sent to preach to a people for 20, 30 years who would never listen to him. Laboring away, preaching to people who never listened. And, and tradition tells us, I think the book of Hebrews is probably talking about Isaiah, that Isaiah was sawn in two at the end of his life. It did not end well for him. Jeremiah, maybe, you can take an ex as an example. Jeremiah was a prophet right around the time that 
um, the people were carried into exile, and he was given the tough, uh, the, the tough message of telling the people to settle down in exile and call it their home. He was called a traitor by his friends. The people of his hometown conspired to kill him in Jeremiah 11. Jeremiah was never a popular man. You may think, well, he was a prophet. He had to, no, he was never popular, but he endured and he did the right thing and he was patient until the end. Isaiah and Jeremiah exemplify patience in misery. They remained steadfast and they trusted in the Lord. And now we get to Job. Uh, now you know the story of Job. Uh, many of you do. If you don't know the story of Job, the first two chapters and the last chapter are the most important. Um, and then in the middle of it is a lot of grumbling and a lot of bad advice. So if you want lessons on bad advice, Job, that's where you go. And so with Job, what happens is he's a faithful, very wealthy man, and everything is taken from him. Everything is taken from him. His family is taken from him. His riches, his health, everything is taken from him, yet he remains steadfast. Now, I love the way he says it. He refuses to curse God. Instead, he says, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. As we read these stories in the Old Testament, what we're reminded of is that we're not alone. If you're suffering, you're not the first person that has suffered. Look even toward Christ who suffered, who was betrayed, who was crucified by those he came to save. Your righteousness does not guarantee you an easy life, but it is worth it because all of them were waiting. The world was not worthy of them, and they were waiting for the coming of the Lord that we will experience through eternity. Church, I know life is hard. It's hard. There's a lot of hard things about life. You're going to make it. You're going to make it. I believe in you because the Lord is with you, and he cares. Wait on the Lord. He always comes through. The scriptures are full of story after story of the Lord coming through for his people. And the last way that we cultivate a heart of joy and patience in a broken world is we look for God's purpose. We look for God's purpose. That purpose is not always clear to us. You're not always going to be able to find it. And so sometimes you have to look to God's character and trust that he has a purpose. But we look for purpose. Verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remain steadfast. He's talking about the prophets. And then he says, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Friends, you can be patient in suffering because God always has a purpose. And that purpose is oftentimes hidden from us. But there's always a purpose. And you can trust in this, that God is good. Not only is God good. You notice that James doesn't actually say that God is good here. What does he say? He says, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Not only is God good, but God cares about you. I don't know who needs to hear that this morning. 
Maybe you feel like God is a million miles away and you know that he's good, but he couldn't possibly care about what's going on. The way that James describes God is compassionate and merciful. He has a heart. He has a heart for you. He cares for you. It's a beautiful reality. There's lots of people in the world who are good, who don't care anything about you and me. But our God, he is good and he cares for you. He has a purpose for your suffering. He is merciful and he is patient. There's no better way to describe him as patient. He's so merciful, so patient. So I don't know what you're going through today, but I think that when you meditate on the character of God and how much he cares for us and how patient he is with us, though we go our own way, though we don't act like we need him, though we don't act like we want him, yet he's patient, he endures, and he stays with us, that can get you through anything. Because we're waiting on the coming of the Lord, but we get to experience a bit of his presence each and every day. And as you meditate on these things, God is with you. And you're waiting for it in full, but you have it in part today. And we wait for it in full. One of the ways that we wait for it in full here at our church is we celebrate the communion meal every single week. Because it's a reminder that one day we're going to feast with God. And right now, we're just enjoying his presence in small, in small bits. And so as we take this communion meal, be reminded that God's with you. He cares for you. He's compassionate for you. Be reminded that he loves you so much that he sent his only son, that his body was broken for you and his blood was shed for you so that you might have relationship with him. So let's stand, church, and let's pray as we prepare to receive this communion meal. God, I don't know what everybody's going through uh, today. I wish I did, but I don't, but you do. And um, I pray that right now, for those who are experiencing suffering, that you will give them divine patience and that they might place their heart in the coming of the Lord that they might wait on you and know that you always come through. Guys, we prepare to receive this communion meal. Help us to be reminded of how you've come through for all the saints in the past, how they've been faithful through hard times, and you'll come through for us. You're going to be faithful to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.